0: It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. It is Friday the 13th of November. No, not the movie. Real life. And the election has finally been called. Apparently Biden won 306 electoral college votes, Trump 232. But The Trump people continue to exist in a separate universe. One of his top advisors today announced that the White House is proceeding under the assumption of a second Trump term. So it increasingly seems as if we're living in a book or a movie or a television show. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we had Carlos Lozado on the show, uh, the the Washington Post book reviewer, talking uh, about the books on Trump um books that make sense of the trump age uh, a, an age of course of the ubiquity of donald trump uh but today we're shifting medium we're going from books to films and who better to talk about the movies and donald trump than uh david thompson david thompson is probably the world's most respected authority writer critic on movies is the author of the iconic, the new biographical dictionary of film. uh, And he's all ready to explain Donald Trump in Hollywood terms. David, um, have I underestimated you?
1: No, you've overestimated me, but that's the currency of the time, so that's okay.
0: Uh tell me a little bit David about how you got into movies because your your output is quite remarkable it's 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 shameful how one single person can produce so much work well
1: leaving that aside i was taken to the movies at the age of 4 and um it seemed to me at the same time to be both the most terrifying experience i had had and the most wonderful and that combination is really still lasting i mean you know i'm a good deal older and and i go to the movies or i see movies i see movies more than i go to them because you can't really go anymore but when it's working i i feel the same mixture of feelings i feel delight and dread too and and, um It's a turn on Uh, and it was a turn on at four. I had to be taken out of the theater in tears because I was so involved with with what was going on. Uh, And I've controlled that to a certain extent, but I still have an immense fantasy life with what I see on screen.
0: David you came across uh, my radar uh, last week when I interviewed Leon uh, Wiesentiller, the the uh, the editor and founder of a new a very interesting new publication liberties you have uh, an essay in uh, in Leon's new uh, quarterly the wonder of terrence malick very briefly what's so great about terrence malick is he amongst the most iconic american film directors uh
1: I think he's one of the most complicated in that, from my point of view, he began wonderfully. I think Badlands is one of the great debut films ever made in America. And he made The Thin Red Line, which I like very, very much. And then gradually, in the new century, he went into what I regarded as a period of almost decadence where the films had a beauty that was smothering the content. And I had reached a point with him of feeling a little worn out by his films. And then, 2019, A Hidden Life opened. And I was still so jaded about him that I put off going to see it until a friend told me, you know, it's an absolutely extraordinary film. I went. And I think it's the best film he's ever made. And and so Leon, who knows Terry a bit, uh, was very interested in the idea of a sort of career piece about him and how this late film uh, might be the best he's ever made. And so we were off. I've written for Leon, oh, well over 30 years. And, and we have a very close friendship. and, and great deal of understanding
0: yeah leon um Le- leon did a great interview and, and thank you leon for for uh, introducing yes. me david thank um, you. Thank you, leon. D- david a lot has been written about the cinematic or the television quality of donald trump uh i think one of the best books was james ponia yeah. audience of one he's the tv critic yeah uh there's a long tradition of this of course uh, neil postman's amusing ourselves to death is is an iconic book in this category what's your take on the and I, and i use these words carefully because i know they're not the same the the cinematic or the television quality of trump's america and particularly of donald trump himself well
1: i think he is the most completely evil deranged figure I've ever come across and I think he exemplifies something that we have kind of masked from ourselves which is the way in which the movies have taught us and this is going back decades have taught us to love evil figures and we love them in part because they are exercising energies we feel we can't exercise, but also because they're doing damage, but the damage doesn't affect us. It doesn't make us responsible. And I think that that is at the heart of why he has polarized the society so much so that approximately 75 million people hate him and approximately 70 million people, thank God for that gap, uh, have had so much of him they never want to hear or see him again. And, you know, uh, I think you have to relate that to, well, two great cultural figures from the movies that I can think of. I think this goes back to Michael Corleone, and I think it goes back to 007. Now you are supposed not to challenge 007, particularly in the aftermath of Sean Connery's death. But I think James Bond was a cultural disaster of immense proportions in that it really taught us to admire, to imitate, and try to be a kind of thug that strikes horror in your heart when you realize that it might have been a role model for Trump. Just as I think Michael Corleone was, just as I think once upon a time Charles Foster Kane was.
0: Well, let's let's move to Charles Foster Kane. Um, you wrote a wonderful book, David, uh, about uh, Orson Welles and Kane called Rosebud. Mm. Is is the Trump narrative in many ways similar to at least the movie uh, Citizen Kane? Well. Cain is about an outsider figure who
1: rises, not quite as high as Trump has risen, but rises to the heights of American power. And he's a monster. He behaves terribly to individuals, but he has an extraordinary on-camera charm. And for all the books that have been written about Trump, I think there is one that remains to be written, which is really how he handles the camera. He, he I don't think he mm, knows. That's, that's a really you mean you mean he you mean him on camera? Absolutely. I'm not sure that he knows what he's doing. He he may, but I think it may be innate and instinctive. He is just a master of playing to the camera and playing to the audience behind the camera, and that comes from being a child of the movies. I mean, he's a few years younger than I am. um, And he probably started seeing movies when he was four. And I would not be surprised if he felt that mixture of delight and dread that I was telling you about earlier. Um, I don't think he reads at all. He has a signature that makes you aware that he can hardly write. Uh, And I think he watches television. And Really, it seems to me that his chief function in the White House, governing, allegedly, has been staying up all hours to watch TV and to be on TV. I think the ultimate Trump situation is him watching himself.
0: So is this, uh, David, jumping from, from Citizen Kane to another classic, another masterpiece, at least in my view, being there, is Trump Chauncey Gardner in some ways from being there?
1: Oh, God, if only he was Chauncey Gardner. If only he was as quiet and as self-effacing <laughs> and, and, and shrinking as that. No, I mean, if Chauncey Gardner is our ideal gardener, Trump is the jungle run wild, come into our heads and our homes, to everything. I think that one of the wonderful feelings at the moment is that sense, will it be, will life be quiet again? Will it be still again? Will we not have him every morning dominating and bullying us and trying to tell us how adorable he is? That is such a relief. I'm all for Joe Biden, but you know, the was not really for joe biden it was to get rid of trump
0: let's talk um, about david about another of your favorite films because i think this is also a narrative uh, about escaping the movies or escaping uh escaping fiction uh you you wrote for the guardian in 2011 my favorite film you wrote about the truman show Uh which is which is a film about escaping the movies i think um is there an element of the truman show in trump's america
1: well i think the element that you could argue is that trump basically wants to replace reality a reality that we can test and measure and find ourselves in with an ongoing movie scenario where he is on camera all the time uh I mean, Truman wants, boy, he, he learns to try to escape the perfect world uh, of that community where he lives. Trump would, Trump would stay there forever. Uh, and and, and uh, they're alike in that way, I think.
0: You quote, uh, I'm quoting you, you say in if uh, the Truman Show was sometimes called a religious allegory. Uh, Well, maybe, but that wasn't what got me. What I saw was a metaphor for the movies and their show and the notion that the beautiful controlled life under the dome was hiding a wilder, less comfortable life outside. Is that what Trump's uh, disappearance off the stage will reintroduce, a wilder, less comfortable life?
1: No, I don't think so at all. I think that uh, my prediction is that psychologically he is going to be so damaged by the defeat and by the the most public defeat there could be that I think destruction or self-destruction is going to occur. I don't think he's going to last another four years so that he might run again. I don't think he's quite got the narcissistic energy to put on another TV network, which is argued could be the case, I I have a hunch that the madness that is there is going to really come to the surface and take him over.
0: So David, ultimately, whilst you were born in South London, I mean, I'm getting the sense you're a little bit of an optimist. There may be a, a, a Hollywood, a happy ending to this, at least from most anti-Trump pe- people's point of view. To, to be story. born story. Uh, there is another movie which Jake Chapa wrote about in the Atlantic last month about uh, a happy ending, um, a face in the crowd, uh, in which a Trump character was eventually brought down by his own absurd narcissism. What is there a, a good connection between Trump and a face in the crowd? No,
1: I don't think so. I think that's a very old-fashioned film, and and, and it it carries the idea. If you remember that the media will destroy their own creations, I am afraid we're in a much more dangerous situation now where media monsters uh, could easily become all powerful. I mean, I think one lesson about Trump is that someone smarter than he
0: is may come along and try it again. A, a cleverer drifter, a, a cleverer grifter. Um, what about the grifters? They, I'm not sure how smart they were, although there was a kind of happy ending in a sense that one of them got away. Is <laughs> the drifters helpful in in, in in figuring Trump out? It's too much
1: of a stretch for me, uh, but, but there may be a link there. I don't know. You've got stills up on the screen, so there is a link. You, you have arranged the link in advance whether I could explain it or not well
0: no you can tell me i'm wrong um, I, th- I
1: think you're wrong
0: <laughs> David i've always uh, in your in your best of films you always put a lot of uh, a lot of uh, films that I love but you never put my favorite director Hitchcock i think you've got a, a little thing against Hitchcock
1: well i do have very mixed feelings about Hitchcock i i i think he's a master uh, having taught film, I can tell you that he is the most happy director to be taught because he's making decisions all the time. So you can show students how the medium works. I think he was a very cold, cruel, rather empty-headed guy. I think he liked to frighten people. And I, I, I have a hope that the cinema is worthy of more than just wishing to frighten people.
0: I wrote a book, David, uh, called Digital Vertigo, which used the example of vertigo as uh, as, as, as selling something that didn't really exist. Um, you, of course, are very familiar with Hitchcock's vertigo. Is there an element of vertigo in, in Trump in, in selling himself, at least to his supporters? When are these people going to wake up to the fact that the blonde is actually a brunette?
1: Uh, I don't think those people are gonna wake up. I think that the future of America depends upon some way in which the 75 million and the 70 million can be reconciled. And it's a terrifying prospect. And I'm not at all optimistic in that sense that it will be accomplished.
0: Are we going to get some good films about the other America, David? We're, of course, familiar, you and I. You're in San Francisco. I'm in Berkeley. We're all immersed in in coastal culture, global culture. But the other America, the the 70 million people who voted for Trump, who are angry still, and perhaps many of them believe that the the, the election was rigged, they're not going away. What about Hitchcock's movie Shadow of a Doubt, which, to me, I used to live in Santa Rosa, to me, speaks of the...
1: It's a beautiful film. I agree. Uh, a film yeah. that,
0: that yeah. shatters the, the innocence of small town life. Do we need more films about the other America? I, do, I
1: think we do. And, and, and if you go back to Terrence Malick, don't forget his first film, Badlands, was in that area of the Dakotas in Montana, mm. a kind of area intensely beautiful, but not a place that movie scenarios go to nearly enough. And I think the coastal population needs to work a lot harder at understanding the resentments and the fear of the people who live in the middle of the country. They're always going to be there. And, uh, you know, we come close to taking Texas this time, we get Georgia. But I don't think we can plan on turning all those red states blue. There is a lot of vitality in the red. There is a lot of what we also think of as the heartland virtue of America. Frank Capra Mm. made great films about the red state personality. And I think we have to work much harder, us true blues, we have to work much harder to
0: share things with it. What about Thelma and Louise? I I watched that one recently. That was a marvelous film about Middle America.
1: Great example, you know. And and, I mean, don't forget that there is in the interior of this country a physical beauty that is absolutely amazing. There's, There's a film that opened last week, Let Him Go, with Kevin Costner. It's a good film, not a great film by any means. But one of the virtues it has is
0: what South Dakota looks like. Mm.
1: Have you been to South Dakota?
0: Yeah, I just drove my daughter from San Francisco to well, Philadelphia, you, so we went right You know forward. what I'm talking about. Yeah.
1: I mean, these are fantastic places.
0: Well, Thelma and Louise does a great job there. Easy Certainly Rider, so, Certainly so, does. Some of these. So, yeah. And the film does a much better job, I think, than than literature. Let's yeah. briefly, David, also look overseas. We've been very insular here in talking about American cinema. What about... Some other directors, uh, one of your, one of the lists I saw, one of your top films is also a, one of one of my favorite films, uh, Bertolucci's The Conformist. Yeah. Uh, a film about fascism and what it means to be a fascist. Now, there's a great debate, and we've had it on our show, about whether or not Trump is really a fascist. I don't want to revisit that. But it, uh, is the work of people like Bertolucci and movies like The Conformist helpful in making sense of some of Trump's, Supporters, not the the ordinary people from the heartland, but the people actually working from him and profiting from him.
1: Well, I think if you're going to bring in the entirety of non-American film, you will, will very quickly find at this moment that American film is nearly dead on its feet. Um, the medium that the world used to think of as an American medium has almost been abandoned in America. Uh, And far and away, the most interesting material here is being made for long form television, not the movies. Um, And I think it's shocking and upsetting that young people in America today do not know the archive, the pantheon of great cinema from Europe, from Asia. I mean, Kenji Mitsuguchi, Japanese, One of the truly great directors of all time. Superior to Kurosawa, in my opinion. Um, French cinema, German cinema, so many other national cinemas uh, deserve much more attention.
0: uh, David, finally, uh, we haven't talked very much about Joe Biden. always seems to be a, a footnote to Trump, whether Trump's president or not. Uh, is there can we talk about Mr. Mr. Smith going to Washington with, sure. with Biden? I think that's the very good comparison. I mean, I think that
1: Joe Biden's greatest virtue in the election was that he was ordinary, so ordinary that he could make mistakes. I love the fact that he stutters a bit, I love the fact that he can't always get a sentence out straight. He's trying to be articulate i think he's trying to be honest i think he's trying to be decent because at heart i think he has access to all those things what i like about him is that he's not really a part that you could cast readily you can't think of the actor to play joe biden because he's i think not jimmy
0: stewart if, if we could resurrect
1: him well jimmy stewart's gone i mean maybe yes but jimmy stewart would be clever enough to imitate uh, Biden's speech patterns. In Biden, they have integrity. And I think it was very attractive and charming the way he sort of sold America on the idea that stammering, stuttering need not be a defect. It could be a, a measure of character. And I hope he stays ordinary, I hope that He is not inflated in any way. I hope he doesn't get so accustomed to being on camera that he starts to play himself. I don't think he will, but it's always a test for anyone in politics as to whether they can stand up to that intense scrutiny.
0: It worries me, though, David, because we live in a cinematic age. People expect their leaders to be visual. And as you say, the genius of Trump is that he He, is so accomplished in, so a camera, so yeah. at some point people are going to miss Trump, but that's uh, maybe a conversation for uh, for another day. Uh, finally, finally, you're in San Francisco in these strange times in late November 2020 or mid November 2020, Friday the 13th, uh, when we still when Trump still hasn't resigned and and we have all this this COVID stuff reappearing. A uh, couple of suggestions: people are stuck at home over Thanksgiving and, and Christmas what should they be reading or watching? We've talked about a lot of films. Maybe you want to throw out another film that you love that's just come out or a historical film and a book <laughs> or two that you're you're enjoying in addition to your wonderful books.
1: Well, I am not alone in this, but I love The Queen's Gambit. I think it's a wonderful uh, portrait of a particularly intense, competitive woman. Uh, I I'm very drawn to competitive people myself. And I love that show. Um, I've been rereading old books. The book that carried me through a lot of COVID was Scott Fitzgerald's Tender Is the, the Night, which I think is much better than The Great Gatsby. And I would urge people to seek that out.
0: You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at Lithub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.